Welcome to a special midweek edition of the Club and Country Podcast presented by ML Rose. Uh, we are very uh, proud and excited to have Jeff Tebbets, who hosts Cincinnati Soccer Talks Jersey Swap Podcast, formerly March to Match Day for longtime listeners. You're probably familiar with it. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on a little bit. Um, uh, I'll do my best. Uh, I'm sort of <laughs> uh, walking wounded a little bit, but um, <laughs> you know, just a little soccer ball to the eye never hurt anybody. Oh, well, it sounds like it might have hurt you, but we'll <laughs> let it slide this time. Um, well, Jeff, I want to start start from the beginning, basically. Um, obviously, these two clubs, uh, Nashville and Cincinnati, have a long history that goes back to the USL days, um, back to, you know, I, I believe it was Cincinnati's third year when Nashville entered the league. Um, what What is the feeling among Cincinnati fans of, of where the rivalry stands right now? Do they still feel like Nashville is a rival? Do they feel like they developed other rivalries since moving to Major League Soccer? Kind of where does it stand? It's a difficult rivalry to sort of put into words because mm-hmm. when we started our rivalries with the likes of Chicago, with the likes of Columbus, we were a USL squad and we had won those first games in the US Open Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, so our reaction to that, I think, as a fan base was we can anybody. We can, you know, these guys are nothing. We can take them down a notch. They can bring we can bring them down to our level and show us and show them what we're made of. That, that we didn't get that with, with Nashville. Every game that we played Nashville in the USL draws, draws, draws. Even the preseason games that we had in 2018 were draws. You could argue that the postseason victory uh, at, at Nippert Stadium was a draw. Mm-hmm. So it, it was one of those things like we cannot figure out this team and it's the bee in our bonnet. Um, I feel that because of that, some people aren't sure what type of rivalry it is. Is it a, a rivalry where we are the behemoth? Is it the rivalry where Nashville's the behemoth? So I think there's just a lot of people in town that are like, we don't know what to call this. <laughs> and because of that, I think it bugs a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And obviously you mentioned the the rivalries with Chicago and, and Columbus that go back to Cincinnati's USL days. Obviously they had a chance to build those up for an additional year before Nashville joined Major League Soccer. Does, did that kind of diminish where Nashville stands, maybe in like a, a rivalry pecking order at all? Maybe. I mean, that's a good way to put it. it you know, we had the first taste of a, a true rivalry with, of course, Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, it's sort of gone under the radar. I think COVID kind of, you know, muted a little bit of our feelings of a rivalry with uh, Louisville. But when you're facing the likes of Chicago, uh, Columbus, who are the bigwigs, the guys who are a, a few notches ahead, that they've had history of uh, winning and uh, trophy cases that are much fuller than our own, there's that that sense that we have to take them down, that they 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 are our rivalries because they have what we want. And I think with Nashville, it's it's hard to say that you know with us both coming in at the same time, it's more a rivalry you'd have with your big brother, with, with your, <laughs> not your big brother, with your twin brother. You know, we both mm-hmm. should be on the same level, but obviously we came out with, with poor performances in our first three years. Nashville has made the playoffs every year. Um, they've been a team. So there's, I think maybe a little bit of jealousy there. Yeah. I, I, I want to get into those first three years. They obviously <laughs> did not go very well. Uh, I think Cincinnati fans and Nashville fans are both well aware of how it went for Cincinnati. But there's been a huge change over the course of the past, um, you know, 16 months or so, uh, maybe even slightly less than that. This is a completely different Cincinnati team. Um, Noonan coming in, some of the uh, front office changes. 
what is the feeling in Cincinnati about where the team is now? What did what did those guys change when they came in? And does Cincinnati feel like, okay, we're finally getting to where we were supposed to be? Or is there almost a, oh my goodness, this is surreal. We, we you know, look like a legitimate playoff contender year in and year out, whereas the first three years were, were we essentially looked like a USL team playing in Major League Soccer. There's a lot of questions there to digest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I sorry. Mean, a, a very uh, multi-pronged question there. I mean, basically, if you were to look at us last year, we we knew we were playing with house money of sorts mm-hmm. uh, where we were happy with just getting our names mentioned in playoff races that you know the whole idea of having uh it be an x in front of our name instead of e so that we'd be you know in the playoffs and not eliminated from the playoffs that that was sort of what our first aim was so once we got into the playoffs it was house money it was hey let's try to see if we can beat the likes of new york and philadelphia teams that we shouldn't be beating and I think now that we've gotten that taste, it's it's a taste that we've savored, but now we're trying to figure out what our next dish is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like um, we know that we should be punching much higher now this year, we, that we are no longer um, the David compared to a Goliath. And because of that, I think we've gotten into the season with our eyes sort of looking over our shoulder more than looking over the shoulder of the people that are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's sort of a little bit of the difference this year with, with us getting out of the gate strong, but at the same time, sort of knowing that there are going to be people aiming for us. Mm-hmm. And to get into what has, has, you know, really changed, not just in terms of perception, what have Chris Albright and Pat Noonan done? That's, that was so different from the previous three years. What, I guess, in a practical sense, were they able to do to change, not just the roster, but the mindset? I think part of it is that they came in understanding really what uh, the MLS base was all about. Mm-hmm. I think uh, with our first few coaching choices, I think we had teams that were led by people that understood more USL operations. And then when um, Gerard Nijkamp came in as our, our general manager, it became more of a Dutch operation, a, a more of a European slant Mm-hmm. on how to build a team. I think neither of those really fit with where you wanted to be. You right. needed to have uh, people who understood not only the team that you've created, but the team underneath the team you've created, you know, what the, um, what the Academy is going to look like, what the homegrown players are going to become. Um, and I think that really that type of instilled mentality helps quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think also the fact that Noonan and Albright both learned under someone you know, Jim Curtin, who right. was able to really generate something ground level in Philadelphia and bring it to a squad that's been able to challenge for MLS Cups, been able to challenge for US Open Cups, where they've got stuff in their case. And now I think Noonan sees that, Albright sees that. Both of them are on the same page and know exactly what type of players they need in. Uh, you'll notice that a lot of the players that were underperforming for FC Cincinnati are long gone. You don't have the likes of, um, and I'm not talking bad about any of them, but Alan Cruz, who was often injured and, and really didn't have a, a defined role within this team. Um, the likes of uh, our our defenders, they really were not, I think, performing at the level they need to be. And probably most importantly, the goalkeepers were not really what we needed as goalkeepers. Um, the the Kenneth Vermeer experiment failed miserably. 
The um, our podcast has a take on Kenneth Vermeer. I'll tell you that much. I mean, I I feel he's got talent, but I also feel that when he got inside his own head, he couldn't get out, mm-hmm. and that unfortunately you lose trust in that type of goalkeeper. But to have, um, I think, gone into the draft and found some keepers, um, well, well, both goalkeepers and keepers, as in keeping, um, yeah. that that really, I think, builds up our defense quite a bit. Um, we've got some confident players back there. We've got some uh, veterans who are able to fit with those uh, confident players, like Nick Hagelin, who's been able to stick around. Uh, Alvis Powell, who was up on our first squad, but is now come back and uh, found his role. It's it's good to have that mix. And I think the past three years, we did, we had a mix of people brand new to the system that didn't quite establish their roots. You mentioned Elvis Powell there, and I want to I want to talk about him and a, a few guys who share something in common with him, and also share something in common <laughs> with with Noonan and Albright, and and that's union connections. Is that something not just Powell, but you also see Ray Gaddis, who I believe came out of retirement to to come to FC Cincinnati before last year. Obviously, they picked up Sergio Santos before last year. Um, I believe there are a couple more. Um, they're not springing to the top of my head, but <laughs> do do those do those Philly connections say anything to you, or is it just kind of like these are the guys that? That the staff knew and so it made sense to bring them in i think it says a little bit in terms of um how well you expect players to come in and gel with the the coaching staff mm-hmm. i think for for gaddis to come out of retirement was a big thing um yeah this year we weren't expecting to have a big a big role but he started uh i think three games in a row for us uh in mm-hmm. place of uh santiago arias who had a bit of a knock that he's recovering from and he in all honesty, the Orlando game and the Seattle game, he played above his weight level. He, he, he's been, he has been doing better than expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that comes with understanding what the coach is asking. And I think part of that is also understanding the mates around you. Um, mm-hmm. I think Powell and Gaddis have both fit in pretty well. Santos has fit in, I think, pretty well because not only is he an ex Philly guy, but he's also Brazilian and I think he, he gives uh, Brenner a, a little bit of um, uh, some some rivalry, but also a partnership, mm-hmm. someone that you can identify with and someone who can um, uh, not necessarily hold his hand, but be there as someone who is like after a game, be able to talk to him freely, celebrate with him freely and and really produce um, more of a, a team mentality that we probably have been missing for years. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit at at each level of the team, and since we're we're talking Santos and Brenner here, let's let's start with the strikers. Brendan Vasquez is a guy that the U.S. men's national team fans who watch a lot of, a lot of Major League Soccer are really interested in. Brenner, obviously, each of the past two preseasons has kind of wanted to move along. It hasn't worked out for him either time. Who should Nashville C fans expect to actually see on the pitch? Is it is it a Vasquez Brenner? Is it a Santos playing more time? Who is the 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 pairing that is playing most often up top? I think you'll see Brenner and Vasquez both pairing up just because, you know, they did this last year and it succeeded so well, 18 and 18 for goals scored. Uh, I think part of it is also um, early in the season, Brenner starts slow. Um, Mm -hmm. We've seen that last year when he came in, um, had to have a few half games under his belt, had to have a few substitutions under his belt. But um, this year he's, he's doing better coming through, especially this past game against, um, 
uh, Chicago, where we didn't have uh, Luciano Acosta as our number 10. So Brenner pulled back a little bit and played sort of a heavier midfield position to, to make up for that lack. And, and because of that, I think he's becoming a better player. Um, mm-hmm. Vasquez, um, a lot of people are going to point to him and say, well, he's not scoring, so what good is he right now? But, you know, early on, those first two games, nobody was scoring last year for us. And then he, he got two and then got two and broke out uh, into a confident player. Uh, he's doing really well I, in terms of being a team player. I think he's got two assists on the season already. Um, mm-hmm. The big, uh, the, the one goal that we scored uh, uh, early on against Chicago, that came from uh, Vasquez darting through the defense and picking his spot and then seeing uh, the trailing players. So he's not scoring goals, but he's still, a, a, I think, a starting fit in this. You, you can't replace Brenner or Vasquez right now with Santos or, or Don Baggi or anybody like that. Mm-hmm. And then moving back to the midfield, I th- you mentioned Lucho Acosta, who's obviously so crucial to what has allowed this team to become kind of an offensive powerhouse. And the one thing that I have thought is interesting through these first couple of games is, is Yuya Kubo, who was brought in as a winger, kind of converted to a six. Uh, over the first couple of years he was in Cincinnati, really hasn't played that much this year. Is he on the outs with the team? Is he injured? And and what is is going to be important in terms of, of making this midfield run, aside from Lucho Acosta kind of pulling the strings up top? I, I think um, Kubo uh, missed the last game because he had a, a little bit of a knock at the end of the, okay. the Seattle game. You could see that he was struggling. Um, but I think Kubo has also realized what his new position is. Uh, last year... He was, um, you know, they toyed with him earlier in terms of where he would be insert, but he became strictly uh, Junior Moreno's replacement. Mm-hmm. At, they knew that Moreno had a little bit of, of uh, injury problems last year. And so they they used Kubo in as either his straight replacement or as someone who would come in on the 60th, 70th minute for Moreno. And I think that helps Kubo quite a bit. Um, he's been known as a jack of all trades in the past where they would bring him out as a second striker. They would bring him out as a winger on either side. They would bring him out as a midfielder. And mm-hmm. I think when you do that to some players, they don't know what their next role will become. Um, for him to come in and be that straight six replacement, be that guy that comes in strictly for Marino, I think it fits him perfectly. Uh, and because of that, he's become a much better player. Now, whether or not he's healthy for this game, I I leaning towards probably he won't be available, but we'll see um, really how he feels this week. Mm-hmm. Let's take it back, back to the defensive side of things. We talked already about a couple of the defenders because those are a couple of the union guys and Elvis Powell and Ray Gattis. I think again, somebody that, that is maybe less of a, a major league soccer fan, but follows the U S men's national team is very familiar with Matt Miazga. What did his arrival last summer do for this team? It seemed from from my perspective that it that it helped the offense more than it helped the defense, maybe. But he's a guy, he's a guy who has a different level of ball skills than we often see in major league soccer. And and do you expect the defense to kind of be a potential liability like it was at times last year? Or is it something that they're really saying, okay, we're not gonna, you know, pepper let Roman Salentano get peppered all the time. We are going to, you know, maybe reduce the number of chances that opponents get rather than, you know, try to hold onto the ball and get it to our attackers and see what happens. Um, I, I think a, a few people look at the insertion of Miazga into our team and think, Oh, you know, this is what they tried with Jeff Cameron. Um, and ultimately 
moved on from Cameron. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of a distinction between the two where Cameron was coming from, uh, I think, QPR, mm-hmm. um, basically playing championship soccer, uh, you know, uh, championship level soccer in, in England yeah. and was dependent on to start the, a lot of these games. Miazga being in, in Chelsea, but, you know, being loaned to all these other locations, I think, I think that puts a spark in you when you're like, the team that I want to play for does not trust me to keep them on that team. And I think um, with that, Miazga came back and said, I've got ultimately something else I need to prove here. And because of that, he's really become sort of a, I wouldn't say pressure to become too much of a leader in the back, but now that we've got the likes of um, Yerson Mascara on his uh, left, usually Um, Hag, uh, Nick, Nick Hagland, who is on his right, but still considered, um, not quite leadership material. It gives him this role to be that that center point, the, to be the facilitator, both on defense and offense. But also, mm-hmm. um, Miazga knows that he doesn't need to be the guy that sp- skirts up into the middle, uh, into the 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 into the the midfield, mm-hmm. and be that guy to have to play sort of a, a center defense uh, defensive midfielder. We've got both Junior Moreno and uh, Obina Nuobido, who I believe is currently our uh, early season MVP, mm-hmm. they're able to patrol the middle and not pressure Miazga to have to balance too many things at the same time. Um, whether or not uh, Jeff Cameron would have been able to do the same thing if he was still on the team, I think it's hard to predict. But I think Miazga realizes that um, he, he's he's been able to define his role pretty well. And mm-hmm. because of that, I think he's becoming a better player for it. Mm-hmm. And then wrapping it up with the keepers. Um, I don't I don't know what Cincinnati's expectations were for Roman Salantano when they drafted him last year. Um, it has gone extremely well, I would say. What is what has allowed him, especially as such a young player, to come in and make the impact that he has between the pipes? Well, he's become the Wally Pip, you know. I'm sorry, not, <laughs> not the Wally Pip. He's become, I believe, the Lou Gehrig, if that's right, yeah, yeah. that's the right w- way. And unfortunately, Alec Han has become the Wally Pip where he got injured and had to sit a few games. And Salentano just was able to show that, you know, he's got this, this length to him. He's got a, a w- big wide span. He knows where he needs to be when uh, balls get crossed into the middle. He's got the, the confidence to come up and grab a, a, a cross or two. Um, it's something that I didn't see quite in the likes of uh, Primashov Teton, who was the starting goal, a goalkeeper, Vermeer, uh, those types of goalkeepers, they didn't quite have the confidence to come up into the box, call off their their players and grab the ball. And, and I see that more with Celentano, that he knows when to come up there and, and it, he, he's got the communication with his other players to call them off and, and take control of any uh, passes that come through. Uh, I do wish his his distribution was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But if you take a look at at Someone like, um, for example, Matt Turner, who now plays uh, as a, in a reserve role for Arsenal, his distribution was something he needed to work on. And ultimately, he's been able to. I think yeah. that's something that at this age, you can learn and understand more. And I think if Celentano is able to command that, I think we've got our goalie for quite some time if he's not drawn away by uh, the lights of Europe. Mm-hmm. And then... Now, big picture going in specifically into this weekend's game. How excited are Cincinnati fans and and Cincinnati, even maybe players and staff, about going into a new stadium for the first time, seeing Geodis Park, 
visiting Nashville and not going into you know an, an awful NFL stadium, things like that, everything that goes around it. I, I can say that um, maybe I'm looking at this from fans glasses, but mm-hmm. uh, when I went down there in 2018 for USL games, I felt that going into Nissan stadium just was not the, the, these, it was not the feeling that you wanted for a soccer yeah. game. And I, I'm not talking trash about anything, but <laughs> you know, we had, we brought down about a thousand people maybe, and we were seated way in the other corner and we could see the, the supporter section wasn't filling, you know, once the game had started and, and we're like, this doesn't feel like a big time game. Maybe it's because the stadium's too big. And because of that, we've, we've, I think some of us have been very anxious to come down there and, and, and experience what Judas park has to offer. Um, we haven't been able to play there because one COVID and two, you guys were in the, the West. So, you know, we right. only got one game a season. Um, so it's nice to have this new option come there. And um, anytime you go into a new stadium, you get to understand what the bells and whistles are all about. I went to, to Columbus last year. I loved lower.com stadium. Um, and I'm, I, I'm it's a sad thing that I can't go down there this weekend, but I can't wait to see what some of these fans say about this, this new experience. And then uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What are you expecting out of the game? If, if you're comfortable giving a score prediction, by all means, go ahead. But in terms of big picture, what do you expect from the Saturday's game? I'm, I'm going to keep my prediction close to the vest. I, I, <laughs> Tuesdays, Tuesdays are a little early to predict uh, without even seeing what a, um, with what an injury report looks mm-hmm. like i mean i was expecting a two nothing victory for uh, cincinnati in chicago and then boom uh acosta's on the bench because he picked up a knock and boom uh you know kubo is completely missing the game so it's hard to make predictions mm-hmm. in, in the uh, the week i'm hoping that you see the likes of acosta showing in those 10 minutes that he is okay that it was just a concern knock that he had last week um, we won't be seeing Junior Moreno, unfortunately, because he is with his uh, national team. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also opens up the middle for hopefully Marco Angulo to come in and play more of his type of role. Um, he had started for Acosta uh, in the Chicago game, and it didn't. It just didn't look like he was there as um, a number eight or a number ten of any sort. So. Mm-hmm. I think he wants, I think we want to see what he and Nwobodo can do next to each other as twin sixes. And if Kubo is healthy, then he comes in and replaces Angula at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I think you're going to see quite a bit of uh, what you've seen uh, in week one, maybe. Um, I'm ho- hoping that Arias is back as a starter. Um, we haven't spoken about um, uh, what Arias and um Avaro Barial have brought in the wings, but I, those have been working so well that I expect to see more of it. Um, whether or not it works against what Nashville throws at the screen, I, I'm not sure. Um, we haven't been able to figure out Nashville, even <laughs> an MLS squad. Um, last time around, uh, I th- believe both Acosta and Mukhtar were, were mm-hmm. scratches, mm-hmm. just uh, Mukhtar with an injury. And I think, um, Acosta was out because of a red card um, yeah. that they extended to three games. So it will be good to see full squads playing against each other. Um, and because of that, I can't make any predictions right now. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff Tebbets, uh, even though you didn't give a prediction, thank you so much for joining us. 
um, tell people where they can find you and uh, find find your work as well. Um, well, they can find us all uh, here at Cincinnati Soccer Talk at Cincy Soccer Talk um, on Twitter. Uh, if you go to CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com, that's our main website. Um, personally, mine is uh, Jeff Tebitz um, with a G, not a J. <laughs> um, my name's kind of complex to spell, but if you uh, look it up, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, yeah, uh, and that's where I, t- I tend to spend most of my time on Twitter. So uh, proceed with caution. <laughs> Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to ML Rose for putting the show on. Thanks to 440 Sports Network uh, for for helping us put it all together. Jeff, appreciate it, and we will uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you very much for your time, Tim.